tree was all the same I was under the sky, no new horizons Maybe there is no one else to Listeners, welcome back to the Campbell's Footballs Podcast with your host, Dr. Grant Campbell. I'm joined for this episode by a fellow podcaster. He is the host of the weekly Armchair Podcast and a contributor to All For United. It is the very excellent Keen Franny. Keen, a warm welcome to the show. Hi, Grant. Thanks very much uh, for having me on today, though. I really do enjoy your podcast, so it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show today. It's absolutely fantastic to chat with yourself as well. How have you been coping during these very weird and strange times with COVID-19? You know what, this, this this whole kind of year, 2020, has been kind of a whirlwind of a year, really. Um, to, to be honest, in terms of coping with this year, it's been this, my own podcast, the Weekly Armchair Kickoff podcast, has been, I suppose, my go-to, my saving grace with this year. Um, you know, during, and I suppose, the first quarantine period when we did lockdown in March, I developed an idea um, with just a few of my friends, because I was meant to start a podcast two years ago, back in 2018. But due to work and college commitments, though, I, I couldn't have the time. Then, you know, we did have, and um, obviously the lockdown period happened. I was working from home, and, you know, I had a lot more time in my hands, so obviously because of the current restrictions that are here in Ireland. And I suppose this podcast I'm doing right now was my own best way of coping because it's obviously a tough time for everyone. We're going through such a strange time, but. Yeah, I suppose talk about football and talk about other sports in general on my show has been kind of um, my coping mechanism during, during this time. It's very interesting because I can sort of see similar connections with myself. You know, Campbell's Fools for me was just a thing that you know, really was sauntering along okay. You know, I was getting the odd guests here and there. I was really grateful to be able to chat to people like Craig Brown before the lockdown. I actually went to interview him personally at his home uh, before all this, which I feel very honoured to do. But I think lockdown in some ways has actually been beneficial because I've been able to chat to a range of like-minded people who just love football. And, you know, I find it absolutely fantastic to chat with people like yourself and so many other great people as well. And I think podcasts as well, especially for a range of people, um, are really, really good, especially if you want to kind of go out for a bit of fresh air, a bit of exercise, uh, even just pass the time away working from home when you're maybe isolated and alone. It can be a really good coping mechanism, as you say. Yeah, absolutely. Like, even as you said, like, doing terms of, like, exercise and stuff like that, I often go on, on walks, like, here in Clamelan to Bray, where I'm from, there's a really nice walk called the Blue Mate, which is, like, a nice kind of countryside-ish kind of walk where you go down by the river, and there's always kind of nice views, and Phil Brown, who I've had on my own show a couple of times, I listen to his podcast, though, kind of beyond the pitch, I listen to himself and Callum McFadden on it, who, who you work with with football CFB, mm-hmm. and... Do you know, I, I listen to that podcast because I often listen to the Air United show on it and it kind of gave me the idea of kind of pushing it forward. Let's see if I can try to do this. And I, I, I do listen to other podcasts, so like your, your own one, Joe, Joe Rogan podcast, you know, and other kind of you know, even life-related podcasts as well, like not just sport. Like, you know, I always like to hear different perspectives. And as you said, like whether you're working from home or you're exercising or even if you're just, you know, if you're sitting down and relaxing, like let's say on a Sunday even like this, like, you know, Listen to a podcast can be very good, you know, for your, uh, I suppose, for your own kind of peace of mind. Absolutely and I think you know I have my own kind of go-to shows throughout the week. I always listen to the Totally Football Show series of uh, podcasts. I'm a big fan of James Richardson 
who's uh, one of my heroes, certainly from the days of Gazetta Football Italia back in the, the 90s and early 2000s. But there are other shows that I really enjoy. I like listening to um, the tennis podcast, for instance. I'm a massive tennis fan, massive Andy Murray fan. So I really enjoy following the tennis circuit. I like my darts as well, so I enjoy listening to some darts content. I'm a big follower of Northern Irish football here in the in the UK, so I enjoy following the score. And I and also the that's what I call football podcast with uh, Gareth Fullerton. So it's really good to get a, a really good mix um, of podcasts, really to increase your knowledge as well, because I yeah. think more and more fans, people who are connected to football, they've got so much more content to work with than they maybe used to do even five years ago, and I think that is a, a big bonus to a lot of people. Yeah, like you, you look at other podcasts, you look at like let's say other clubs and you know other kind of I suppose leagues in general, you see so much different content out there and. It, it, I suppose from all the different types of content you learn yourself from listening to it or whether you're listening on Spotify or you're watching on YouTube or, or Facebook, Twitter, whatever kind of platform it is there's so many different podcasts out there that can kind of give you I suppose a platform to build on and it's great to see the variety and everyone doing their thing because at the end of the day like this I suppose industry that we're in it's, it's so broad absolutely it's so broad and to see kind of all these different perspectives it's for me, it's a very good learning curve for myself. I don't know if you feel that way yourself, Grant, but for me, seeing all these different kind of, all these different podcasts, it's a very good learning curve. Absolutely, and I think from myself as a presenter, but also as an interviewer like or interviewee like yourself, I should say, you, know, you get a really good idea of both sides of the mic, and I think that's very important if you want to see a successful podcast coming to fruition. Keen, it's great to have you on the show. I'm really looking forward to learning a little bit more about your own podcast, but also your love affair with Manchester United and the League of Ireland especially, because it's good to have someone on who follows football in the southern half of Ireland, because I obviously follow a lot more of the stuff in the north of the of the country, which I'm sure is very interesting as well to a range of people listening to this. In terms of your own journey in football, I always like to open up with the, the gambit of what made people want to go into the world of football as their kind of topic of interest and their through, uh, kind of um, hobby in the first place. What was yours? So for me, like I was named after Roy Keane, so I was more or less into institutionalised as a Manchester United fan, really. It's a funny story. Like when I was born, my mother's a United fan, my father's an Arsenal fan. Um, my father wanted to name me after Ian Wright. Um, as an Arsenal fan, and my mother, you know, wasn't having it at all. And you know, she's a massive United fan, and though Roy Keane, um, obviously, it's an Irish player, and she's like, he, she, he was like her favourite player. So she, like, they eventually agreed to disagree, and eventually, my mother got kind of, I suppose, the, the point was And um, I was named after Roy Keane. And I suppose in there, like, with, with my family, like, they, my family is a very kind of big football family, you know, in terms of locally here. Um, in Carmel and, and Carrick and Shore where I'm living and like the, the, my family supports many different teams in terms of Liverpool, Arsenal and United so like there's so much different variety and I suppose what got me into falling in love with the game myself watching kind of I suppose the early years um, kind of Manchester United when I was younger like I used to watch the likes of Ryan Giggs you know running down the wing don't take him there on being so ambitious Paul Scholes, like looking at his range of passing, and then as I was getting older, then I've seen the likes of Wayne Rooney, Cristiano Ronaldo, kind of still playing for United, and the man you fitted Rio Ferdinand, they were players to me who I looked up to playing football myself as well. So I kind of looked up to and seen kind of their qualities and their kind of principles, how they played the game, how they always always wore their heart to their sleeve, and always players who always gave 100%. So 
in terms of inspirations and kind of idols I've had, they, they'd be players from Manchester United perspective who I looked up to and kind of made me fall in love with the game. Yeah, and Roy Keane is uh, a player who, you know, divides opinion with so many people, but for me as a fellow Manchester United fan, he always wore his heart on his sleeve, he always got involved with uh, certainly a few meaty challenges in his day. His rivalry with Patrick Vieira of Arsenal uh, was something to behold over the years. Every season, I would always be so excited and look forward to that head-to-head between Arsenal and Manchester United because that midfield battle between Keane and Vieira was always box office and always so entertaining to watch. It was so box office. And then two players, Keane and Vieira, they were so like almost nearly evenly matched. You know, people who say Roy Keane most of the time got the, would more or less get the better of him. But again, like these, these were two juggernaut, juggernauts in English football in terms of midfielders. Like they are the two go-to guys in midfield. Like if any team comes up against the hill, they wouldn't fancy their chances. Like even Steve, I think Steve, I've seen Steven Gerrard say one say one time, like Patrick Vieira was one of his you know, toughest opponents, as well as Roy Keane. Like there are two midfielders he knew he, when he stepped out on that pitch would be a tough day. And many players who played against him, you know, whether it's on the European stage or domestically, would definitely attest to that too. Yeah. And then two, like two players, well, not only in terms of their, their quali- like qualities on the pitch in terms of football ability, but their leadership skills on and off the pitch was unbelievable. And it, I suppose it's rare we see a player of that mold these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's very important. And we'll come on to talk about current Manchester United affairs shortly. You mentioned Ryan Giggs and Paul Scholes and how they just made it so easy and look so easy in a Manchester United shot. And that midfield for me of Beckham, Scholes, Keane and Giggs, and Nicky Butt thrown in when he had to be when Keane or Scholes, whoever was suspended. It's just a formidable midfield, but you also mentioned Vidic and Ferdinand. For me, two of Manchester United's best ever centre-backs in the club's history it's absolutely fantastic the way they uh, dictated the game very solid defensively but also how much leadership the pair of them and individually showed to the team yeah you look you look at Vidic and Ferdinand like their, their leadership skills with the second to none like both held captaincy stages at Manchester United and they, so they, they're very influential in terms of the overall team but one thing I would say about that centre-back partnership not only with their qualities individually but they complemented each other so well mm. that centre-back pair and like you had Ferdinand, who was almost like the, the Rolls-Royce centre-back. Like, he was the, the ball player. So the player would bring the ball out of the back and, I suppose, drive the team on, get forward. He'd get forward to Michael Carrick. He did chip in with an odd goal or two as well in this time, Rio. But then you had Vidic, who, who was a no-nonsense defender. He was someone, you know, who would stick his head in, stick a leg in wherever he had to. Like, you've, seen, you've often, often seen in games, and you, you've seen images of Nemanja Vidic, like, he, you know, he, he wears like blood as a, I suppose as a shrine of honour. Like do you know what I mean? He was a youth defender that who always put in one hundred and ten percent and he always his reading of the game was fantastic as well. Mm-hmm. Like, he was someone who always knew where to be and him and like in terms of like one v one defender, in terms of defenders who always knew to make a challenge. For me growing up playing as a defender myself, I used to look at you know, him and John Terry as two defenders while nearly to kind of I suppose my game on if I was playing centre back like you know they, they're two kind of defenders who I look at yeah. and I'd be you know they're, 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 I'd like to be you know, like them in terms of positioning and, and in terms of reading of the game You mentioned that you played uh, yourself over in Clonmel do you still play now? At the moment no with the current lockdown restrictions and with work and college and podcast commitments I've, at the moment now I'm currently not playing but you know let's hope maybe in 12 months time when hopefully whenever the time may be when the when the lockdown ends and 
kind of suppose everything's back to normal in terms of work, college, and podcasts. That I can find time to go back playing full time. I was playing when um, just when the I suppose the lockdown ended. I did play um, a pre-season game with, 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 um, with my local club, Thomas Celtic, and so recently just one pre-season game. So just as a just to kind of I suppose get it back back into the legs and try try to see if I can still play off my fitness. I'll be honest, Grant. Um, it was a uh, very below standard. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just leave that there. You know, my fitness wasn't there, but you know, again, I'd love to get back out and playing full time at some stage. Like it just depends how my life takes me because, mm. like, there's I have so many commitments at the moment, and you know, look, wherever the form of the game is, whether it's podcast or it's playing, whether it's coaching, because I have done a bit of coaching myself as well in my time, like being involved in football. So. Like whatever my journey takes me, whether it's podcasting, coaching, or playing, I'm definitely going to still be involved in the game in some sort of capacity. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of you know, you talked about podcasting and you working your way into the sort of the media side of football. Who were your inspirations in terms of that side of things? Do you follow a lot of writers and newspaper uh, newspapers and magazines, or on the Athletic, or anything like that? So for me, it was kind of watching podcasts and watching kind of general kind of fan channels that got me into it. But and again, as I said, Phil Brown was a very kind of you know um, big inspiration for me because he was someone who I did listen to regularly on Beyond the Pitch and his early days mm-hmm. on YouTube as well. And he was someone who, who I got in touch with when I first kind of started out, and um, because I often did listen to Phil and someone who I openly keep contact with now these days, even since day one, like. So months later, I, I, I keep in regular contact with them. I always kind of seek advice from himself and Callum mm-hmm. whenever I whenever I feel like you know, not even if I'm so much in a rough but if I, if I kind of have ideas and kind of what kind of approaches I should take the podcast because I don't come from I, I suppose a, a proper media background where I'm so I'm qualified in that respect. But what I, what I am planning on doing with my college degree, like I'm currently studying um, social science at the moment, but. I have taken a gap year with, with, with my education to kind of reevaluate and see kind of what I want to do, what degree I want to do going forward. And because I'm involved with my, with my weekly armchair podcast, and I also contribute to Off United and, and Mad Red United now also as well. Like I'm kind of looking at this and I'm thinking I actually want to go into the media. I kind of want to go in and cover sports because with with my own podcast, I'm kind of covering football and covering uh, mixed martial arts as well. So because nice. this. Because I cover, I suppose, a wide range of sports, for me, I'm thinking, right, this is what I'm passionate about. Like, social science, I, do, I see from that side also. I do like helping people also. So for me, I suppose, for me, and always having that human interaction in itself, I want to, A, help people, and two, do something I'm passionate about. And if I can mix both together, I'd be me going to media, me going to doing this as a full career. For me, I think that's the path I want to take. Well, you speak very well, and I really wish you well going forward because it sounds like you have the passion and all the ingredients to be very successful. And like myself, you know, I don't come from a media background. I, I'm, a, I'm a PhD graduate. You know, my, my background is in the social sciences, but also in, in environmental sciences. And I did my PhD, yeah. which I, which I passed in 2019. And you know, my love affair is ultimately with science. But I've always had this love with football, and you know, I, I, I really love doing this as a hobby and I think it's very important for my side to kind of just be very much respectful of people who want to go into the media and really really want to push that much more. I enjoy doing it because I love football as my hobby and I love it as my life but at the same time would I want it to be my life? That's uh, that's another question for me I guess but you know it's something that has always interested me uh, from the beginning I guess as well. In terms of following Manchester United Keane and you mentioned about this very early on 
What was your first game that you remember following Manchester United? So in terms of watching at home or being at a game? Both. Both. So the first game I remember um, following Manchester United, um, Man- it was Manchester United um, versus Arsenal back in, um, back in 2004. That would be the first kind of... I was so young still, like, though I, I wouldn't remember a game fully to its kind of full degree. You know, at that age, you won't pay as much attention as you would when you're kind of in your older years. But the first game I remember watching um, was Man United versus Arsenal because... My, my dad had me watching it um, on the Sunday. It was the game, you know, where we drew nil nil on, on Old Trafford, and you know, Van Nistelrooy missed the penalty. The pizza game. <laughs> yeah, uh, Van Nistelrooy missed the penalty, and you know, um, Arsenal you know, managed to get it was a nil a draw, and we didn't. Um, we tore them apart that day, but we didn't get the result. And I remember my father, like he's um, an Arsenal fan, and he tried to say, "Look, you're supporting the wrong team. Joe, I won't buy an Arsenal jersey next weekend." And my, my mother my mother wasn't at home and that day she was out shopping and I remember my mother coming home and say, Yeah, ma'am, when we watched the game today, Man United didn't win and dad said I have to support uh, Arsenal. <laughs> and and my mother said to me in no uncertain terms in a very stern voice, she said, Keen, if you support Arsenal you're grounded. <laughs> you're grounded for life. And as a young kid, like do you know what I mean you, you take that very seriously and I did and I suppose for then on I, I stuck with United kinda at the at that young age, and then for me, then my first game um, I ever went to um, was Manchester United versus Everton in Old Trafford, um, and that for me, looking watching United at a young age and looking at the likes of Rooney, you know, Carlos Tevez, Ronaldo, those goals, gigs in Old Trafford back then, back in 2008, for me, it was massive. Like, you know, at a young age, seeing them players in person rather than watching them on the telly. Yeah. And see how they seen how they kind of carry themselves, not only just in the game, but in the warm up. Do you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I suppose with me, with everything in life, I look at everything with it from attention to detail. And to watch like Joe Ronaldo in the warm up, and to see him doing these like mad skills and have the ball up in his head, up in his shoulders, and to see how he, he used to do it so easily, and looking at how he take his first touch. Like I was watching Paul Scholes drilling passes to him, like in the warm up that day. And Scholes was like hitting the ball really hard, like you know, like as a as a child, you put your foot through everything, you know, when you're playing football. Yes. And I was watching Scholes drill passes at him like that, just straight passes, and Ronaldo was taking them into his stride and making it look easy. Like I remember, like my father brought me to the game, and um, because it was, it, was, it was part of a birthday present to go to the game, and I said to him like, like look at Ronaldo, like he's so he's so so good, like, and my, my dad said like said to me at the time, he was like, yeah, but he's only like only like a little belly dancer he throws himself around the pitch so obviously that was my dad being the Arsenal fan you know and called Ronaldo a diver but then I watched the game and I see kind of the passion that the players were showing back then and it really kind of drew me on and it was like you know I became more of a fan by like going to Old Trafford and listening to listening to the fans singing Glory Glory Man United and you know seeing Sir Alex Ferguson who for me in, in, not only in football but in life is someone who I take as a big inspiration in terms of having always drive and determination to better yourself, he's a person for me who's a massive, massive inspiration. But to see all them in the flesh really kind of, I suppose, feeded my hunger for football. Yeah. And in terms of Manchester United, they've been my first memories. Now, in terms of my one of my greatest memories as a Man United fan, um, I went to the EFL Cup final. It was our the first Cup final I've been to. Go post of Alex Ferguson, and that day we won our, we won that trophy. Um, under Jose Mourinho and that, that for me going to games was one of my favourites because I was in I, my first cup final and you know, meeting you know, my United fans from all different parts of the world and 
you know, we scored a winner in the last minute with Stockton Ibrahimovic scoring the header. Ball, great ball went in by Andrew Herrera. And for me, seeing Mourinho win that first trophy, at the time I thought it was this great Man United are back being a serious winner in Mourinho, and it turned out to be a massive fall stone. But for me, traveling over to a cup final and experience Wembley Stadium, that was a fantastic memory for me. It's something I hold kind of so vividly to this day. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my first memories of being at Old Trafford myself, I went to see Manchester United play Crystal Palace back in 2004. My dad and I went to the game. We we got um, hospitality for the game, which was absolutely unbelievable. And we're playing Crystal Palace. And uh, I remember the game so well because Wayne Rooney missed a penalty after five minutes. And uh, well, it was a very interesting game. Uh, Scholes was unbelievable. I got Scholes' autograph after the game. He came up to the executive lounge and... He was absolutely fantastic. But I also got a signature of Luis Saha and Gabor Kirai, the Crystal Palace goalkeeper. And of course, Kirai, very famous for the Logan trousers that uh, he wore back in the day. And he was absolutely superb. And United won 5-2, but pa the Palace goalkeeper was absolutely sensational. But it was a 5.30 kickoff. It was one of the, obviously one of the late kickoffs on a Saturday. It was an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, Alan Smith got on the score sheet that day. I think he maybe got a double. Um, but it was just a really good performance by Manchester United. And Palace played their part in the game. Danny Granville scored to make it 1-1. And I think, I can't remember who got the equals. I'm tempted to say it was someone called Aki Rialati that made it 2-2. But I could be wrong with that. Um, but it was a really good goal and it was it was a really tough game for Manchester United but they, they ended up winning it in the end but that was a really good match for me to follow but you know obviously talking about uh, Roy Keane earlier on my first real memory of following Manchester United was that turnaround against Juventus you know that second leg in the Deli Alpi Filippo Inzaghi was absolutely unplayable in the first 20 minutes for Juventus I thought it was all over and then uh, Keane heads in the corner and the, the game just turns on its head and United came of age that, that night. Uh, and then to go on and win that final famously against Munich, absolutely unbelievable. But for me, the one I remember the most is 2008. You know, that final against Chelsea. I still have a good laugh with a great friend of the show, Scott Stephen to this day, about that infamous John Terry slip because uh, he's a university, he was a university lecturer and uh, the next day after that Champions League final he was doing a lecture and he was talking about the John Terry slip in, the, in his lecture and I always remember that to this day and he's not a Manchester United or a Chelsea fan but he, he, he coined that and I thought that was absolutely fantastic we're still great friends to this day so Scott if you're listening uh, I'd like to shout out to yourself but, uh, but yeah those were the great days of Manchester United and there's not so many of them now and the current time following Manchester United is a very tricky one because obviously a real range of managers since Alex Ferguson retired. You know, we've had people like David Moyes, Louis van Gaal, Josie Mourinho, and now Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Where do you think Manchester United are at currently, Keith? I think we're, we're kind of in, in, a, in a cycle at the moment where we're still trying to find the right the right manager for, for post of Alex Ferguson. Like, we've had, as you said, we've had David Moyes, van Gaal, Mourinho, and now Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Like, we've so many different philosophies at the club since Sir Alex is there. Now I think with all of them, like you assessed the David Moyes era, and so you know, he came in, he had the impossible job of replacing Sir Alex. And like for me, I wanted David Moyes to succeed that time. Like well, as I did raw managers, but he was someone who I thought could have, at the time when he took over, I thought, yes, he's Scottish, you know, he, he, stayed, he had a stable time with everything, and he's someone who I thought who has longevity in him, I thought, yes, he would be the man to take over Sir Alex at the time. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for him. I still think him changing the coaching staff completely was something that, I think, 
was one of his ultimate downfalls, and you know, changing the whole coaching staff. I thought he kept them there. It might have done him a bit of good. And um, you, you assessed in the Louis Van Gaal area. I think era. And um, for me, Louis Van Gaal, he, he won an FA Cup. And he done very well to win that. But people criticised kind of the, the, the football that Louis Van Gaal played at that time. And I, I, I could understand like those it was very kind of square pegs, round holes, and type football. One thing I would say about the Louis Van Gaal era, I, I look at some of the players that he had there, like he had, he had an over the hill Bastian Schweinsteiger, you know, he had Morgan Schneiderlin, he had Mike, uh, Michael Carrick coming towards the end of his career. Wayne Rooney was going into kind of a makeshift midfielder role, and you know, Daley Blind again, who was more, I suppose, more of a left side centre back than. The centre midfielder. In terms of the possession-based style that Van Gaal had, I know like he, he stuck to that principle because that's the way he always plays. But for me, I feel like he didn't have the personnel to kind of play that style of football. I think that, again that was something that kind of hindered him. But again, you look, you look, I look back at that era of football we had under Van Gaal, and he done so many good things as well to bring it through the likes of Jesse Lingard, you know, buying young Anthony Martial, bringing Marcus Rashford in, you know. There were so many other players through that era as well, like Gunmo Varela, who he brought in that in his last season, done quite well. Cameron brought from Jackson. You know, there was players in there who he did give a chance to, he did give a chance to you, he did try that. And it was something that I kind of look back in the Van Gaal era and I'm like, yeah, you know, he did try that as well. He tried to kind of, I suppose, adapt himself to the kind of morals of Manchester United, which is kind of play, play good football, but try to bring through you. But unfortunately, it, it didn't work out for him in the end. And then, Grant, you look at Jose Mourinho, for me, I thought when he came in, he was the man going to bring us back a league title post Sir Alex. I was the most confident when he came in because he's someone that every club he's went, he's won a league title. Everywhere he's gone. And again, that was a fall storm. As I said, like we won the FL Cup, we won the Europa League. And whatever happened from there, it was just, it was all downhill. Again, I know in the second season we got 81 points and you know, but in the manner that we came second that year, like you know, Manchester City just steamrolled the league that year. I think for us, really, that they got a hundred points, and that was something that look we we couldn't compete with that year. But I think one thing I'd say is that I'm not a Jose Mourinho apologist. I, I'm I'm not. But one of the things that I I didn't sit well at me is that after that second season, we gave one point to our best points tally for Sir Alex. That we didn't build on that. Like we went into a summer mm. we bought Fred, we bought Yoga Delow, we got Lee Grant, I think it was on a year of one million or a free transfer, something something along them lines. And for me, it was almost a case of lack of ambition to go and win that league title. And for me it, it seems to be a kind of model that the club is that we've been kind of looking at the last couple of years where we're content to get top four and then it's like we don't make that next step. And for me that's not Manchester United. And again, we've seen with Oli, like Oli done absolutely remarkable in his first kind of 12, 13 games. Like we went on that 11 game one being run. We knocked PSG out of the Champions League for me, which was one of the best nights I've ever had as a Manchester United fan to witness that, to witness that comeback. And then like he gets the job and then he look, we did have a downturn in results. Then last season, then he was very unlucky with injuries. I feel like Paul Pogba and Marcus Rashford out for prolonged periods last season. We were 14 points off Leicester and then the saviour himself, Bruno Fernandes, comes in. And since then, we went we on a very good run on half of lockdown. We got the three semi-finals last season. And again, like we were a third place finish when we were 14 points off that position. was not a short of a mark from Oli. And for me then, I, I wanted to see us build. I thought with this season, with no fans there, 
with the way you kind of look at now hindsight 2020 it's, it's a beautiful thing when you look at the current state of the Premier League right now if we built on that we went out and got the players that we, we should have got what all he wanted like it's quite known that he wanted three players he wanted Jack Grealish from Meccano and Jaden Sancho now we haven't gone out and got any of them Mm-hmm. And for me, that's something that's kind of hindered Ollie in a way because they're they're players he seems like would slot into the system. Now you can look at the signings he's made this summer in terms of Edison, Edison Cavani and Donny Van de Beek. You've young Traore coming from Atlanta. You've Federico, uh, Federico Pellestri as well. Um, Alex Tellez as well, the left back. Like there's there's many players there for me who who can contribute. But again. They were very, I suppose, deadline day signings. They were kind of panic signings. I don't believe they were Ollie's first choice because if Edison Fanny was an Ollie, an Ollie signing and an Ollie a choice for Ollie, he would have been signed eight weeks before he was because he was a free agent before that period. It was quite known that he was. But for me, um, so many different managers, so many different philosophies. Personally, for me, I love Ollie Garner to to succeed because of his like, club legend status. and He's someone who like if of all managers we've had in the last seven, seven or so years, for me he's the only one who has a genuine affection for the club, mm-hmm. and he has that relationship with the fans. And I think, I think I, I might be sent, sentimental. I don't know, but for, see, I'd love to see him succeed because he's someone for me who, who leads Manchester United. And again, look, we know at the moment he's under so much pressure at the moment. Like again, there was talks. Obviously, he didn't win yesterday. That his job would have been under threat, which. Again, I, I don't like, don't necessarily agree with, but look, time will tell whether he succeeds. I, I just hope he gets the back and then he gets the time to do that. Yeah, I mean, my analysis of Manchester United the last few years has been, well, I think it's been a state of flux Manchester United have been in. Um, as a fellow Scotsman, um, I really wanted David Moyes to do well. Obviously, Sir Alex had touted him as being the successor to his throne. Um, it didn't work out. I think the job was too big, ultimately, for Moyes. I really wanted him to get the time. I felt he maybe was going to grow in time into the role. But at Manchester United, you are judged on success. You are judged on trophies. You are judged on good runs in Europe and in the cup competitions. And ultimately, Manchester United were well off the pace under Moyes. Under Van Gaal, I completely agree with you. I think he really gave the youth a chance. Um, for me, he discovered Rashford. Lingard, Bothwick-Jackson, Fosu-Mensa, and for me doesn't get the credit he deserved, but I also think at times as well, his unorthodox nature as manager was to his detriment, and I felt for him, because I think had he been employed back in the early 2000s, I think it would have worked quite well, as it obviously did at clubs like Ajax and Bayern Munich, as he had done previously. Mourinho, uh, I'm not a fan of Mourinho personally, I think the guy's an egomaniac, Um, for me it's all about him. We also saw that at Real Madrid when he had the falling out with Cristiano Ronaldo. At Inter Milan, for me, he bore the pants off, myself watching them. But also, he's a winner. And you cannot take that away from Mourinho. Now, I'm sure he'll do very well at Tottenham Hotspur as well, by the way. But for me, I never enjoyed watching Manchester United at any point under Jose Mourinho. It wasn't entertaining to watch. We were boring as dishwater to watch. And uh, it was just, all in all, just very bland. Uh, but, you know, you can't argue the fact he did win the Europa League and he did win, as you say, a League Cup. So he, he, he did pretty well. Solskjaer, for me, is betwixt and between because he's having to deal with the trouble at the top with the Glazers and Ed Woodward, who we know very well as my fellow Manchester United fans. And people maybe listening to this maybe disagree with something I'm about to say here. But ultimately, I think the board and the Glazers 
are at times holding back Manchester United a lot. I think they're interested in profit rather than interested in success on the pitch. Now, obviously we've mentioned some signings. Obviously Pogba's come back. For me, he he's underachieved and still continues to do so. Harry Maguire has been signed for £80 million and for me is not good enough. You look at United's midfield, you have Matic who I've really loved for so many years at Chelsea but for me has passed his best. Same with Juan Mata. You have people like Scott McTominay who for me are the future of Manchester United but are they going to get the trusted game time to keep building and keep improving? You have a great front three of Martial, Rashford and Greenwood but do you lose that experience across the rest of the team by playing this youth? Especially in key games maybe at Old Trafford against a West Brom or a Burnley or a Brighton or something like that just as an example. But you go out and bring in signings like Van de Beek who I really loved at Ajax, Cavani, who's obviously a proven goal scorer. You just think, are these Manchester United signings, are they good enough? Now, I think Van der Beek could be a terrific player, and should be a terrific player. You see already with people like Ziyech at Chelsea, I think will go on to have a really good career. That Ajax team, we reached the Champions League semi-final back in 2019, for me, with a very, very good side. Cavani, for me, I think his best days are behind him. In the same way that Schweinsteiger, when he came to Manchester United too late, I think his best days are behind him. Great striker, obviously. Certainly at international level as well, and of course at Paris. But for me, Cavani, for me, is the wrong signing at the wrong time for Manchester United. I think they need to sort out things out defensively. For me, I think they should have cashed in on David De Gea a couple of years ago. Great goalkeeper, but I think they needed to give... Dean Henderson the number one, or give it to Sergio Romero, who I still believe is a very solid goalkeeper to have at Manchester United. I think there's a lot of decent things there, but is Solskjaer the man to put the pieces of the jigsaw together? I'm not so sure. I think that, look, if you look at it from a long-term perspective, but if I be honest about the situation, I don't think he's going to be a manager who is going to deliver a league title to Manchester United. No, I, I think I agree with that. But I think, though, from a perspective that in terms of Steadying the ship, he's done a he's done a decent job. He's like the signings he's brought in, as you mentioned, Harry Maguire, like last summer, Dan James, Bruno Fernandez. Um, I haven't even mentioned Fernandez, who's been absolutely outstanding for Manchester United. Yeah, like you look, you look at the, like some signings like last year. You had the Fernandez, so you had the Dan James and um, Harry Maguire. I'm trying to think who was the other player we signed last summer. Um, Oh no, that's that's missing. You know, it's probably a good player then as well. But the likes of them, the likes of them players, like you've seen, their players who weren't necessarily the massive, massive names. But these were players who who wanted to play for the club. And um, you look at the style of football he's trying to bring back. Like people are saying, he doesn't have tactics. Which look, I think we do know what his tactic is. It's counter-attacking football. And um, it's play, you know, get the ball down the wing, get the ball into the box kind of break on teams. I think that that's the style of football. I, I, I disagree with people when they say he doesn't have tactics. He does have tactics, but they, they, sometimes they might necessarily be the right ones, but he does have tactics. Yes. Um, in terms of this long term, I don't think he's the manager to bring us back to the title success. But if he's back, he's a manager who I think could deliver top four um, on a consistent basis. Look, as Manchester United fans, that's not where we want to be. We want to be challenging for the title every year. That's the club we are. And we're the biggest club in the world. That's where we should be challenging for titles and Champions Leagues every year. In terms of like, in terms of players that you mentioned to me, like those like the Paul Pogba. I think the Paul Pogba experiment has failed. It has to be classed as an experiment. I think. I try to interrupt. I think Pogba for me is an impact player. I think you saw in games when he comes off the bench, 
and plays maybe in that number eight role just to kind of advance from midfield, I think that's where he's most effective. But in terms of a 90 minutes, I don't think he's that player at the moment. No, he's not. And like you look at like the personnel that we have the club, for him to play like in a let's say a four-two-three-one where predominantly he's played um, in his Manchester United career, he doesn't have the whole midfielder beside him who can I suppose provide that extra kind of freedom for him to go forward. Like he's played the majority of his career probably as a six nearly and which is not his strongest position. But I'm not gonna sit here and I'm not gonna make an excuse for him because at the end of the day he's here four and a half years now. Like in, in the four and a half year period he hasn't showed on a consistent basis that he's an eighty nine million pound player. Yeah. He has he's shown in flashes. Like for me, the only kind of game I look at that he's showed that over over a full ninety minute kind of basis was the Manchester City game back Absolutely. in two thousand and eighteen, which is maybe two and a half years ago at this stage, you know. So but yeah, for me I think Pogba in terms of his time at Manchester United I won't consider a full blown success. But look, let's that's not to say like look if he moves on to Real Madrid or Juventus or to whoever he may go as his next destination. Like he may go there and he may work out and show the qualities of a ninety million pound player where he will have other midfielders around him to to I suppose accommodate his his flaws in his defensive game because look as we seen last week against Arsenal. I that, think that, 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 that yeah. side of his game isn't there. Yeah. I think Manchester United, as I said, I think are in a flux crossroads situation at the moment. Um, let's hypothesise that Solskjaer doesn't see the season out. There's a lot of rumours that Pochettino is favourite to take over. Personally, he wouldn't be my choice, as we'll come on to talk about later on in the show. If Pochettino was to take over, would you as a fellow Manchester United fan be happy about that? I would. I would, because back two years ago when Oli got the job, like when he got on an interim basis, I wanted Pochettino to come in right there and then. He's a man who I looked at, Tottenham Hotspur, who took, and I have a load of friends on my podcast now, and they're probably going to be listening to this later on, and I don't mean this statement down any disrespect, but they, he took a Tottenham Hotspur team who were a glorified kind of mid-table side on the cusp of Europa League and Champions League, but never fully got there, to a solidified Champions League team, a team that was always in the top four. Like, Pochettino went there and done that. He got to a Champions League final with a midfield of Harry Rinks and Moussa Zizoko. That, that, that's something that has to be praised. You look at his next spend over five years, and um, Tottenham was watching on Monday Night Football, like his next spend over a five year period was 90 million. You look at Manchester United's next spend in that time was in around the 500 million mark. So you look at a manager there, like he, he has a system, he has a philosophy. He's someone who can, who can coach players and get the best out of players. Whereas, whereas I feel like all these kind of terms at Manchester United is kind of relied on kind of individual quality. Hmm. If I see a manager like Maurizio Pochettino, he's a manager who has a system and he, he coaches players, he makes players that bit better and takes them to the next level. I personally feel if, if Pochettino comes in, Paul Pogba is a player who I think could be phased out definitely because mm. he's, in fact, Pochettino is a, a manager who likes a high press and he likes his, team, his teams to work in the field. And I feel like if he comes in, players like Paul Pogba could be in very, very big trouble. Um, but he's someone who I, I'd like to see come in. Because I see him getting the best out of the likes of a Marcus Rashford, Joe, the likes of a Mason Greenwood, Bruno Fernandes especially, because last summer when Bruno Fernandes was linked with Manchester United, he was actually very close going to Tottenham Hotspur. That's right. Um, and that move didn't materialise. And Mauricio Pochettino reportedly was very unhappy mm-hmm. um, that move and didn't materialise. Now, obviously, he got Giovanni de Celso in that time, who, again, who is a fantastic footballer, but Bruno was his number one, like he wanted him in there. And I think if Pochettino can manage to work with Bruno Fernandes with the system he plays, 
or in that not only that that benefits us but benefits like all the other players around them. I think someone, you know, another player who's in, who, you know, Matthew, I suppose, benefit from Mauricio Pochettino would be um, Alex Hellas. I think Mason Pochettino. Greenwood would as well. Yeah, like Mason Greenwood, again, like you look at the benefit that Harry Kane had under um, Mauricio Pochettino, he helped him develop his game, he was a young player, and um, Harry Kane was, had a lot of loan spells before Pochettino came in. And now I know he got a couple of games on the team Sherwood right before Pochettino came in, but when Pochettino came in, you've seen the impact he had on the likes of Delhi Alley, the likes of Harry Kane. I think he can have that similar impact at the club. And again, as I said, the likes of Alex Tellez, um, like he made Ben Davies, who was a very average like left back um, at Swansea City before he came to Tottenham, he made him into a quite decent player as well uh, in, in an attacking sense. I think he could do that also with the likes of Tellez. I'm going, to, I'm going to say a couple of things before I, I say why I'm not particularly I'm particularly lukewarm about Pochettino. First of all, I think Pochettino has done extremely well at Southampton and obviously at Tottenham, where he was before he obviously left. I just don't think his current philosophy would suit Manchester United. I think United need to go back to being tough to beat. And obviously, they lost six against Tottenham early in the season. They've been losing lots of cheap goals in games. In, not just this season, but over the last couple of seasons. They lost poor goals in Europe very recently against Versace here. And I think they need a guy with proven European experience, but also a guy who's proven in winning league titles. And I would go for someone like Diego Simeone. I know he wouldn't be the most attractive of managers. And arguably, I don't think he would take the opportunity to come to Manchester United. I think ultimately, he will take another role, maybe at another club across Europe. Maybe in Paris Saint-Germain, for example in the future if Chico was to move on. But I think United need to go back, and I, I say it's quite close towards Mourinho's style, I admit that, but I think Simeone is a guy who, for me, is grossly underestimated and sometimes disrespected, I feel, by a lot of European journalists. I think Simeone is a manager who has proven to have won La Liga. He's also got this, a very good Atletico Madrid to, side to two Champions League finals. He always makes his sides very tough to beat. Okay, they maybe don't play the most glowing and attractive brand of football, but ultimately, the guy is very successful. Yeah, like he's a very tactically astute manager. He, in, the, in the big game, especially in Europe, he does sit up very well. And he is a manager, you know, I think maybe defensively, 100% would make us a lot better. As you said, Grant, like in the last seven years, we have conceded cheap goals. Like there is many defensive errors that we've like, that, that been highlighted in the last seven years in terms of kind of what's been happening in terms of that but for me I just go through I just went through the Jose Mourinho era in terms of defensive football I, I went to um, Man United against Man City um, in 2017-2018 yes and we parked the bus at home mm-hmm. against Man City and for me that's that's the moment for me there where I second guessed Jose Mourinho as Manchester United manager because yeah. all the years I've watched Man United I've never watched us park the bus at home I've never watched us completely shut up shot from the first minute of the game at home. Now there's obviously big games when we went 4-3-3 next to a man in midfield and we so we, we battled like on the far game but we never actually though, parked the bus mm-hmm. we never sat on the 18 line, yard line for a full 90 minutes and to see that then that made me kind of fall out with love with Jose I just feel with Simeone yes I think in Europe he definitely showed up the back four I think in the big games he'd get results I don't know I I, I I mean, Tim Weinsberg is, yes, defensively, 100%. He, he would 
he would shore it up in the back. And I think young defenders like Aaron Wan-Bissaka and no, most notably um, Axel Tuan-Sevi mm-hmm. would definitely benefit. I think they're two defenders who I think, if, the, if we were under a Diego Simeone regime, they're two defenders who I think could thrive under that. Yeah. But for me, I think my heart is just set on Pochettino. I'm just, I'm just a huge admirer um, of what he's done in the Premier League with both Southampton and Tottenham. And look, I suppose man- many Manchester United fans have had all different opinions. And so people have talked about Brendan Rodgers in recent times as well, um, who someone who would maybe in the, in the conversation um, in terms of being Manchester United manager. I can't see Rodgers leaving Leicester. Not at the moment. I don't either, but it's some people have been talking about him. And um, people have obviously talked about Julian Nagelsmann and um, you know from Leipzig as mm-hmm. well. Like I suppose, like if if and when it happens when Ollie does leave Manchester United, there will be a multitude of managers who will mm-hmm. think. Job. Someone like Nuno, someone like Nuno Espirito Santo at Wolves would be someone I wouldn't mind having a crack at it. Yeah, like, like he's done again. He's done a fantastic job um, with Wolves, and they have a system as well in terms of how they how he wants them to play. And he's someone who has them very defensively and um, solid as well. And now obviously, look, they lost today against Leicester in a one 0 defeat, but it was like it was a close enough game. And like I think he's someone as well would play with a kind of a counter-attacking style it actually would be similar to Oli but I think it'd be more polished mm-hmm. do you know what I mean I think it'd be a more polished style um, again I think he'd be a, a manager who again defenders like Axel you know Armand Bissaka I think Harry Maguire as well could probably maybe with, with, with playing the back three I think he's someone who could mm-hmm. benefit from that also but I, I don't know if Man United are going to go back down that model of kind of I suppose defensive type managers I don't know if they, they, they would do it because of maybe I suppose the backlash of the fans like that, mm-hmm. could be, that could be a big thing In terms of United this season obviously we're only 7 or 8 games in as we're recording this on the 8th of November what would be a decent season for Manchester United in your opinion Keane? For me I think if, with, with the current state of affairs I would say a top 4 finish with the current squad that we have and a trophy um, I'd like a prolonged run in the Champions League as well. I think we've shown in Europe that we're capable of beating the top sides. I think a Champions League um, quarterfinal or even I'd, be, I'd go as far as semi-final with the current state of affairs with no fans and stuff like that. I think it's something that we, we're capable of. I think top four is, at the moment, it's manageable, um, but we have to build more consistency. I think we have to be more consistent because yeah. I think you look at these teams, you look at Liverpool, you look at Man City, Chelsea, Tottenham, Arsenal, even you control Leicester and Wolves in the mix. There's a lot of teams in there. Everything as well. There's a lot of teams in there now who could, who could potentially challenge that Champions League part. So for us, we're 14th in the league at the moment. As you said, on the 8th of November, we're coming. We're, like the season's moving hard and fast, so we do have to build more consistency. I think a trophy like the EFL Cup is quite possible, and maybe an FA Cup as well. I think that is quite possible for us. But I think from a looking for a realistic point of view. We're what, like eight points or something near enough that off the top, at the top of the table. Mm. I don't know if we can call that back. I don't think that could be a realistic expectation. But I think a top four finish is realistic. And I also think a trophy and a prolonged run in the Champions League is something that we can we can definitely aim for. Now, obviously, look, as United fans, our expectancy is to be at the top and win the league. Like that's that's what we expect. And that's always going to be there because we, I suppose, in a way, we've been. Under Sir Alex, we were spoiled with success, and for me, I'm always going to expect that from the club because we're the biggest club in the world, and we have every right to have that expectation. But yeah. I think at this moment in time, I do have to have, be level-headed, and I do have to have the expectation. Maybe this season it's not possible, but top 
finish is most definitely possible. I think if we build, if we get more consistent and we find the right system, I think we can definitely top four finish. It's definitely, definitely realistic and a trophy. Obviously, as we're recording this, Manchester City are playing Liverpool. Uh, it's currently 1-1 into extra time, or injury time, as you said. How far away are Manchester United, in your opinion, to those two sides? I think for me, we're, I think we're good. 200 million, 300 million off them teams. I think United, if we're going to challenge for a title, um, we have to get top-class centre-back in and pair Harry Maguire. Now, I know Axel has the potential to go that far, but his injury record in Latin recent years doesn't suggest that he's going to reach that level as of, as we're speaking right now. I think a hold of midfielder is massive. It's massive that we get a hold of midfielder there in. Because as you said, Nemanja Matic is a good player. But he, at, at the age he is at now, he's not going to sustain a 38 game season. And obviously for long runs in other cup competitions. For me, Nemanja is not someone who's going to lead us in another league title. I think Scott McTominay, Fred can do a job in the big games, but we need a good, good hold of midfielder. I think that, I think we we missed the trick by not going in for Thomas Partey this summer. Interesting. Like to, be avail- to be available for a forty-three million pound price tag, and um, I think it's that we missed the trick there. I think he like he's a he's a fantastic midfielder. I think I, I watched him last week against Arsenal, and he was so, you know, I suppose, commanding in that midfield. And that physical presence, he may have been someone who may actually unlock the doors for attacking the feeders to have that extra bit of um, freedom. You know, in, in that sense, I think that we missed a trick there. And um, I think a top class midfielder in that mode is someone that we need to kind of help get, get to, I suppose, take away off the likes of Bruno Fernandes' shoulders um, in terms of defensive responsibility. Because as we've seen yesterday when, we talk, when McTominay and Fred played there, and Bruno just had the freedom to go forward. Like, he's, he's a top class midfielder. He, like, he, he's probably one of the only world class players we have at the club. And for me, if we get a hold of a fielder in that position, we can see. I think not only our defenders can have the extra, have that extra bit of protection, but also you will have that. The, the, I suppose the freedom for our attacking players to go in and uh, express themselves. That game has just finished one-one, um, so that's a really interesting scoreline for everybody, and it keeps everyone really tightly packed uh, right across the English Premier League. So very interesting there. Love to, lovely hearing your thoughts on Manchester United, Keen. You can follow uh, our discussion about that uh, by listening back later on in the show. Let's move on to talking about affairs in the League of Ireland, Keen, because you are uh, a fan of the League of Ireland as well, and you know quite a lot of stuff that are happening over there. That season, I believe, is just completed, isn't it? And it's been a, a really interesting season. Yeah, it's been an interesting season because you look at like in the in the last kind of. I suppose ten or so years, um, really, like in that decade, Dundalk have been kind of the most kind of successful team, and like they're they're in the Europa League this season, and fantastic achievement for them. But it's great to see Shamrock Rovers um, get back to the top of um, League of Ireland because they're a team who who, are, who play very good football, and they they, they fantastic footballers, so the likes of Jack Byrne, and um, you know who was who was obviously had a spell over in England and done very well over there. He's, he's, on, he's in the Ireland team at the moment. He's someone who's getting into the squad. They've centre-back Lee Grace, who's actually from the same county as me, um, Tipperary, great centre-back. And like they, 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 do have, they do have a lot of great players. And they, they're a team who I can definitely see maybe making a t- title challenge next season. Obviously, then, again, the team who also recently kind of um, 
won a title in the last couple of years was Cork City, and their team were always pre- predominantly um, a very successful team in League of Ireland. But sadly this year, um, they went down and they, they've had a bit of trouble um, recently, obviously with their, their financial situation. And I actually, I have a, a very good friend of mine um, is, was previously a shareholder in the club because obviously in the last kind of two weeks, um, Cork City have obviously voted and their, their, their shareholders have folded and to sell and to the Preston North End and owner. So mm. Cork City look like they're going to go through a whole rebuilding process. And I'm very interested to see kind of what happens there because obviously from them being the same province to me, Munster and then and Waterford FC, formerly known as Waterford United, and were two very teams who I kind of would hold kind of close close to my chest in terms of who I kind of look at League of Ireland and hope they'd be successful. Now, obviously, the FAI itself has taken a new kind of direction um, itself, like Stephen Kenny, um, the manager um, of Ireland, who has a great League of Ireland background and, you know, very successful League of Ireland manager, and he did have a spell in Scotland as well, and mm. um, did, um, and obviously Niall Quinn's on a board level now in Irish football again. Like, I think with the League of Ireland, to see Dundalk playing in the Europa League, to see Shamrock Rovers to get into the latter stages of the European League qualifying rounds and very like they're unlucky enough in that AC Milan game I thought they gave very good accounts of themselves. There's very good teams there, like you, you had like St. Pat's Athletic who are a massive club in Dublin and they they do have a good fan base up there and they're a good club too. And so you have you have likes of Sligo Rovers so who did have a bit of success too and um, in recent times in the League of Ireland as well. Like there's many good teams there. And like I know people who are probably listening to this now and probably would say like you're a small country and you don't have a good standard of football I, I'd like to differ mm-hmm. differ like there's a lot of good players that come from League of Ireland who are playing Premier League football and playing in the Championship and they, they play in Scotland as well like it, uh, one remark I'd like to make is I, I was listening to BT Sport commentary in the Manchester United vs Everton game yesterday and they were talking about Seamus Coleman and they talked about Sligo Rovers and they said they paid £60,000 for a player from Sligo Rovers. And for me, that's a t- like to see a quality of a player like Seamus Coleman have that, like be one of the most consistent fullbacks in Premier League football. Yeah. See him come from a, a League of Ireland, League of Ireland, at a time where League of Ireland, like there wasn't a great crop of talent coming at that stage. Like you did have the likes of Kevin Doyle come from there. You, you had the likes of Shane Long, who played actually for St. Michael's, who are a team here in the Tipperary League. He went from St. Michael's um, though, and he went up to Lee Barton as well. And um, he's another player like who came in kind of in the kind of I suppose early 2010s kind of time. In the last kind of couple of years, people are saying that the state of the League of Ireland football isn't the best. But I really do beg to differ because we're seeing our teams get to Europe recently. They're seeing fantastic football, and there's great goals scored in the league, mm-hmm. and it's it's. it's it's on the up. League of Ireland football is on the up, and the fact that there is new, like in the last kind of five or so years, there's been three different teams winning the league. So there, there's a competitive edge there, mm-hmm. and you see like a team that's local to myself, Waterford FC, who are on the up as well. They they're, they're starting to have kind of a, a little initiative at the moment where they're trying, they're doing a partnership with our club, Common Town, here, and they're always kind of looking at young talent coming from the local area, and they're trying to build that as well, but also trying to get players elsewhere too. So in terms of League of Ireland, in terms of the direction it's taken, and especially under this new kind of, um, I suppose the FBI in general being under kind of the Niall Quinn um, regime there, for me, 
I feel like the direction of our, our Irish football is going in a good direction. Yeah. And to see the likes of us, obviously, this country at club level getting the stake into the Europa League and then having a manager who comes from the League of Ireland background, in terms of Stephen Kenny, who is looking at League of Ireland players and bringing them through into the Ireland setup, he's done it on the 21 level and now he's doing it at senior level. I think that's, that's a good catalyst for this league to go and, and develop at, at a higher level. Yeah. To, players at grassroots level, at junior level, at TSDL, where I was playing, it kind of shows players that there is a chance to get to the League of Ireland. Yes, there is a chance to make a stake there. You never know. Like the, 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 I suppose the sky is the limit for Irish football at the moment. Now, look, we didn't make the European Championships, and look, we're all very sad about that. But you've seen him receiving Kenny regime there recently that he wants to do things the right way and play football the right way. I think give him time. And if he, if he can get more players out of that League of Ireland set up, I think that must be benefits Ireland, but benefits the league massively. Well, it's really great to hear your passionate view about the Republic of Irish League because I follow Northern Irish football and there's a lot of really similar connections with that. Uh, specifically the fact that there's players from the Northern Irish League that are coming in to not just the under-21 setup, but challenging to get a place in the main team. People like Stuart Dallas who've went on to play for Leeds United having spent a lot of time at Crusaders. You've people like Gavin White who have done the same went to Cardiff and you know done really well there. Shane Lavery at, at, at Linfield is getting an opportunity in the Northern Ireland South. And what's really good as well is Northern Ireland in a very similar way to the Republic are looking at players in Scotland as well. You know, you're looking at clubs like Aberdeen with Niall McGinn, uh, people like Liam Boyce at Hearts are always on the in the team and always in about people like Stephen Davis is just a an absolute consummate pro. But Republic of Ireland have loads of interesting players that are doing a job people like Josh McGuinness uh, in Northern Ireland obviously I mentioned there but you look at a range of players in the, the Republic of Ireland setup. people like uh, da Darren Randolph the, the goalkeeper who I know well from my time following Motherwell a very solid goalkeeper as well but some really good blend of players across the leagues and I think it's very important for managers who are managing at the international level to really respect the country's league of what they're managing and I think both Ian Barraclough at Northern Ireland, but Stephen Kenny at the Republic are doing very similar things really well. I'm just so disappointed, like yourself, that the Republic didn't beat Slovakia, and we'd be very much looking forward to that playoff against Northern Ireland at Windsor Park on that, that Thursday night, which would have been unbelievable, even though we probably wouldn't have had many fans there. No, we wouldn't have, but like, you look at it like from that perspective and the way the countries are both taking shape, it's always great to see the home nations, and you know, Participate in the European Championships. Circumstances, I know, obviously at the moment have changed. We're meant to have this, like with Europe, Europe 2020, before the pandemic um, struck, and we're meant to have this festival of football where Euro 2020 was going to be in multiple different countries. We were, we were blessed that we were going to have a few games in Dublin, and you know, and I was really looking forward to that because, regardless of Ireland qualifying or not, I was looking at that and I was like, I'm definitely going to travel up to Dublin. I'm going to definitely attend a game or two. But I suppose from a long-term perspective, I was looking at that and saying, Jesus Christ, imagine if Ireland could get to the Euros and we could play in the Aviva, you know, against a team and have a basic home game in the European Championships. Yeah. You know, imagine, imagine, like, the Irish fans, like, uh, I, I, one thing I'd love to say about work for a great, for a great, like, we always come together, like, whether it's in the football or in the rugby, like, there's always a great atmosphere and there, we always try to drive our team on. Unfortunately, you now, like, let's say in the summer, Please God, I'm blessing myself. I say is that fans are allowed back in the stadium, and in this international football, that we get to see 
fan fan for every single country that they get to go in and they get to go, they yeah. get to go in and watch their team because for me an international tournament without fans like it's it's, it's soulless fair. it's soulless it's soulless like I even watched the playoff game I was even thinking like in Slovakia if, if Ireland had the fans in there kicking the team on we might have scored a goal well look at well look at Scotland I know Scotland are, are still through but the Tartan army are a massive uh, caveat and a fillet for the Scotland national team and I think regardless of how badly or how well Scotland do the fans unite as one together and they're always backing their team yeah. through the hard times and the great times and that penalty shootout success against Israel he would have been so nervous watching for the fans but I'm yeah. sure so many people including myself would have been absolutely delighted and relieved jubilant at the fact that we now have a 90 minute playoff against Serbia to look forward to if we had fans going over to Belgrade for that match and let's be positive here won that game wow we're in a major tournament since 98 yeah and it's mad like in Scotland have a fantastic fan base well like you know I have I, I, I have a couple of friends who are big Celtic fans and my um, my father's and um, sorry my auntie's and um, boyfriend, he's a massive diehard Celtic fan. When I was growing up, um, though, he always used to have me watching Celtic matches on the telly, especially Celtic versus Rangers. I, I, I love, I love the Scots Premier League. I, I have a big respect for Aberdeen as well, though they're, they're, they're a good club too. And um, for me, it'd be great to see Scotland in the Euros because, as you said, they have been in the major tournaments since '98. And like even look, Euro 2008, that performance, I thought Scotland were going to get to as well. They were very close mm. uh, to get to that tournament as well. And one thing, one question I'd like to actually ask you about Scotland Grant, how do you feel about McTominay playing a centre-back? I was quite sceptical about it for the start, but I think Steve Clark is utilising him quite well actually. He's growing on me all the time in Scotland colours. I think there's still a bit to go. I still don't think at times the three or four, well a three or a five depending which way you look at it at the back suits us, but sometimes it's all about getting the system right and if McTominay is playing well in that position, then that's all that matters to me, as long as we get the results. Yeah, one hundred percent. Like that. That's that's the main thing that you, you get the results. Like that's as far as football is a results business. At the end of the day, you need to get results. For me, look, it'd be great to see Scotland because there is there is players there you know, who do play at, at a good level. And for me, I suppose from an Irish perspective, I'd be supporting them in the Euros. I'm not just saying that because I'm on your podcast now, but it'd be good to see a team for a change from Gordon and do well. Um, obviously Wales are our team who support like you know England as well like you know not often do you hear an Irishman say that they support England in a major tournament but for me if England do well in a major tournament it benefits the Premier League like mm -hmm. it, it really does for me and um, not respect if Northern Ireland get there as well so I, I'd be I'd be I'd be shouting for them as well whoever gets so like from a whole nation's perspective for me I'm not sure you'd have been saying that if the Republic were going to be playing Northern Ireland though, would you? Oh, <laughs> Yes, like look, I'm obviously going to support my yes, country of course. with my heart and my sleeve, but like in, in that respect, when we're not involved, I look at the other home nations and I say like, look, I hope all of them do well. Because mm -hmm. it's good. It's good for our part of the continent, like let's be honest. Like in, in terms of Europe, the Euros or the World Cup, it's not often we see our players in the home, like the countries, the home nations do well in, in these tournaments like historically now you look at Wales Euro 2016 got the semi-final that was great to see especially Chris Coleman fantastic manager though he's a gentleman you know it's good to see he done well there and Northern Ireland actually they, they were pretty good in that tournament as well England you all know they underwhelmed and 
But even the 2018 World Cup was, was good to see England get to the semi-final as well. Like you know, it was kind of I suppose that model almost that England went with regards Southgate being the under 21 manager, mm. bringing through young players and I suppose taking over at senior level. I'm looking at this in the way I'm like, aren't they actually trying to follow that now with the Stephen Kenny because we did have Mick McCarthy there. Yeah. And Gar- and obviously now Stephen's come in from an Irish point of view and he's gone in and he's taken in a senior manager. I know it's it's a, it's a model that Ireland are, I suppose, looking at. They're probably trying at the moment because it's something that you, you've seen with England in the World Cup in 2018 and in, and in the underage groups as well. Like they, they've had success there. They're kind of having, I suppose, a vision and having the talk in terms of a way you want to do things on international stage and look it'd be interesting to see kind of where Ireland goes it'd be interesting to see where Scotland go under Steve Clark you know, who was a very good good manager in his own right and it's interesting to see kind of how all these home nations go in these next couple of months because look I suppose after this weekend we're, we're into an international break and for me it's one of the worst times <laughs> for me as a football fan <laughs> when Ireland have not to play for because you know it's I'm a massive United fan and for me I just love watching United every week, but when Ireland have nothing to play for, um, it's kind of it's not great for me to watch. But in saying that, it's great to see how this international break does. Um, does Stephen Kenny give the likes of Jason Malumbi, um, you know, young Irish midfielder came through, um, you know, with himself through the young setup. Great to see Jack Byrne maybe get a chance. You know, get to see kind of these really young players get a chance now because look realistically. We, we don't, we're not in the Euros, but we've big games coming up, like we've England in, the, in this international break. So, you got to see maybe Stephen say to the lads, "Look, let's go out and express yourselves, stake a claim, you know, and, and go from there." You know. Yeah. No, absolutely, and I certainly hope people listening to this um, will be very excited to see both the Republic, Northern Ireland, and also Scotland in their upcoming battles uh, in the, the playoffs. That is for sure. You are the host of the weekly Armchair Kickoff podcast, the podcast that covers sports such as football, MMA, boxing, also general news. You can find us on YouTube. How long has the venture been going, and can you tell us a little bit more about what you talk about? So, as I said at the start of the show, it was um, it was my idea I had two years ago, back in 2018, and um, I was going to start a, just a football Twitter page, and I was going to do like live streams every so often and just talk about football. Then, so I, I, I unfortunately, do I had um, a family member pass away literally the day before I was due to um, start the start my venture with the football support. So I did put I did put, put it on hold. But then I suppose I was in college and I was so obviously very busy at work as well. So for me, I kind of put it on the back burner. But I said it's always something I wanted to do. Then obviously. Covid happened, and um, lockdown happened, and football is obviously put to a standstill. And for me, football is a really big part of my life. So I'm still talking about it with people. And the regulars that you you watch from my channel, the likes of Jamie, Gary, Steve, and just to roll off a few, we were just doing Zoom calls and we were doing Facebook Messenger calls and we were just chatting about football. And I remember I had a chat with just the four of us: it was me, Jamie, Gary, and Steve formers were chatting on a Zoom call and they said, you know the way you were going to start that football football kind of page back in 2018 but it didn't go through would you not start the podcast now because you were hosting the Zoom calls and you were asking all those questions, it's like would you not do this during this now to kind of pass the point so I was like look, yeah, do I, look, I'll bite the bullet but I was a nervous wreck, I'll be honest Grant I'm, I'm a confident person but you know, I suppose 
public speaking for me previously wasn't one of my strong points, it really wasn't. And we done a couple of Twitter lives at the start and I'll be honest, they, they, they didn't go well. They didn't go well at all, the connection kept losing and you know, I, I, it didn't go well. And But then I obviously I got more seasoned in it, I, I knew what to do, I, I used, um, I got more, I suppose, confident in doing it. And then we had our first um, kind of guest, which was um, Bill Brown from Beyond the Pitch. And that it took off from there. Like we had Bill on, it was a, it was a great show. And he gave me a lot of advice as to kind of where where I should go. Then kind of do be more confident in myself. And then I got in touch with Callum McFadden from Football CFB, who you work with. And Callum's been a ma- another very big help with me in terms of giving me advice. He's now working with me now. He's hosting our new United show along with myself, Devil's Advocate. And then I'll have Callum on board and um, doing that as well. And, so we, we are launching a website soon where we will have a few writers and um, reporting on football as well. But for me, we've had like massive guests on. We've had comedian and Manchester United fan Al Horn um, on the channel. He's um, very funny. Our, oh, he's, he's brilliant. He cracked me up that day. I could barely keep a straight face. There's <laughs> proper equipment to do this. And I was literally holding my phone while I was speaking to Al. And my hand was shaking. My hand was like shaking when he was laughing at kind of biting my tongue I was like don't laugh don't laugh like you know don't lose control like but he's someone who really cracked me up he actually had his own podcast as well I listen to it as well though he has a very good podcast there we've had Rob Dawson from ESPN on and you know we had him on early in the summer Dale O'Donnell straight news someone who actually do actively listen to as well he's been another person who's been a massive um, you know help to me in in terms of um, getting into this industry Um, like we've had a multitude of guests like Adam from Mad Red United and um, he's someone again who was who's helped me I'm now, I now contribute to his channel and um, I could go on and on about, about the guests who I've had but for me I suppose the most important people I've had with this podcast and who've helped this grow is the normal podcast regulars normal contributors to this, cha- to this channel and this podcast I'm building I'm just going to shout them out now um, Jamie Mackie Murphy Gary Egan Steve McGrath Jack Kempson William Bryant Owen Rochford, and um, all them guys, Sean Maroney, Shane Dowley, all them guys who are the podcast regulars now are massive. They're they're the most for me. They're they're the most important people at the start who helped me build build this platform and who have helped me, I suppose, be there on a weekly basis and help the content grow. And with it, like I said, I said to the lads. Off, off camera, I said without me, that without me, there's no me. Like there's no weekly armchair kickoff. You know, the, the people who help grow it, that who've been there week in week out, are the people who are the most, who are the most important to me in terms of helping the show grow. And I mm. suppose help me drag, drag me out of a very kind of rough spot. Like when lockdown first happened, I was my mental health wasn't in, in, I suppose, in a in a great state. Like you know, obviously college closed. You know, obviously I had to adjust to online learning. Um, I'm a very active person as well, you know, obviously with restrictions, I always travel, I always, you know, I always go off places, so for me, for all that to kind of, I suppose, all go away, all at once was a shock to the system, and I suppose my mental health wasn't at a, at a kind of, um, wasn't in a good place, and for them to, these lads who are podcast regulars, but also my friends, for them to kind of, I suppose, push me to do this, and now it's something I want to pursue as a, I suppose, football reporter, podcasting and sports in general to kind of do all this on a full-time basis. 
I'm grateful to them because they've helped me find something I'm passionate about, I suppose, just from watching from afar. But now they want me, they, they, they've got me to a stage where I'm, I am doing something I'm passionate about, like weekly. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I know they probably listen to this now. And I'm, re I'm really so thankful. And I'm also thankful, obviously, to the guests as well who have come on because they've obviously taken time throughout their days and their weeks during this rough period of time as well, you know. Um, and I'm grateful for absolutely everybody, the guests, the contributors, the listeners, absolutely everybody. And look, it's just a fantastic journey that I've been on since kind of March, April, and look, long may it continue. Well, you've had over 7,000 views on YouTube, which is absolutely sensational. Go and check it out. The Weekly Armchair Kickoff Podcast, you can find it on YouTube. Some really great content. I've put in a couple of questions to a couple of your shows as well. So it's really, really good. I've certainly enjoyed yeah. following it. Uh, Callum McFadden, as you mentioned, a big follower of the show, got me involved to, to follow your stuff. So I've got on board and it's uh, really, really good. So keep up the, the great work, Keen, because you're doing a really good job. And I'm very interested, as you said there, to highlight about mental health, because mental health is affecting everybody, especially during this coronavirus pandemic. And it was very brave of you to come out and just say that you had been struggling throughout this time. I think everybody has been having you know, there are problems. I mean, even myself, you know, there are times where I feel a bit down. I don't feel 100% on top of my game. But you just have to keep sticking at it. You know, yeah. the fact that you have a very close-knit friends, uh, people that you can contact, is very important. And I think people who are listening to this, who are feeling down, maybe needing a bit of support, do reach out. There are people out there in society. There are friends, I'm sure you have, that are willing to help you no matter what. So absolutely fantastic. Keen, we're coming to the end of the podcast, actually. This is a really poignant uh, stage to kind of end things on a, on a kind of happy note because you're doing some really great stuff. I mentioned you've had 7,000 views on the weekly Armchair podcast and you really are going places with that stuff and it seems like that you're really on, on real fire uh, at the moment. What does the future hold for yourself? You told me regularly throughout the show that your main ambition is to get into the media. I take it that's where your goals are from here on in. Yes, yeah, so like my goal from here on is to obviously get into media. I think football journalism is what I want to ultimately go into. That's what I'm going to be studying in September, and that's where I'm going to go into. So I'm going to go into journalism, and I'm hopefully cover sports, whether it's football, or MMA, or wherever that may take me. This podcast is going to be a full-time thing and going forward as well. I'm going to be still doing this weekly regardless of my degree or journalism. This podcast is going to be, I'm going to be spearheading this thing. Hopefully, as you said, 7,000 views on YouTube. Yo, let's hope maybe 12 months time that or even we double that even more you know yeah. and yo, I'm, I'm hoping to, to kind of suppose, develop more content we, we have launched an MMA show on, on, on the on the podcast we have had the likes of um, Ryan Splant from Bellator MMA um, Liam Griffin from SVG Ireland Colin Marr from SVG Ireland um, for our viewers who, who follow with Mixed Martial Arts and the, the people who are listening now SVG is the leading um, gym in Ireland um, Conor McGregor and John Kavanagh James Gallagher all the likes of them come from that gym I'm starting to build a good relationship um, with, with, with the SVG Ireland in terms of having fighters and you know, guests and trainers from that, from that gym coming on so I'm in, always in contact with them We do they are regularly coming on the MMA show and that's co-hosted by Jamie as well who, who's on the show that's, that's something that we're, we're going to be developing more MMA content um, coming soon. In terms of recent plans as well, we recently launched a show, um, Devil's Advocate, which is our weekly Manchester United show, um, which myself and Callum McFadden um, are co-hosting on a fortnightly basis. And um, We are currently looking for more contributors to that as well, because um, it's great to hear Manche all different voices in, in, from a Manchester United perspective, 
no matter where you come from, it's always great to hear all different fan opinions because it's, it's the beauty of football to listen to fan opinions. And again, we do have our London show called The London Lowdown, which I have actually no involvement with whatsoever, but our current contributors to the channel, they, um, they host that on a weekly rotation as well. They cover all the London clubs from Arsenal, Chelsea, the Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so do check that out. And also, we do have our normal weekly armchair kickoff podcast as well, which is, I suppose, which is the general podcast um, so that we, we, do, we do have as well. And we are I, we're on the topic, I suppose, of mental health. I do have a podcast coming uh, very soon um, in terms that we're going to highlight all of, the, all, all of the, I suppose, the importance of raising you know, mental health awareness, not only in Ireland, but on, I suppose, a, a worldwide um, basis. I have author Shane Dunphy. Um, coming on that on, on that on the podcast with me very soon to discuss that because he's an author but he also works in the in the in that sector so it's be good to kind of I suppose get him to I suppose raise the importance of mental health because where, no matter where you are it, it, it is it is a massive massive issue that that I suppose that needs to needs to be highlighted and we do all need to stick together and as you said like we always reach out because at the end of the day we we'll, we all need to. We all need to stick together, especially during this tough time. And at, my DMs are open to anybody who's struggling, anyone who's listening to this. My messages are always open to anybody, and I'd be always happy to help anybody who's struggling because I went through it myself. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, really great words, Keen, and mine, uh, I reciprocate uh, your points as well. Keen Franny, the host of Weekly Armchair Podcast, a contributor for All United, by the fans, for the fans. Read, watch, and listen. Join the conversation and help us reach 2,000 clusters and subscribe on YouTube. Really great to chat, Keen, about Manchester United, all things League of Ireland, and a range of other topics as well. Um, fantastic chat with you. Thanks for coming on Campbell's Footballs to share your story with me. Thanks very much for having me on, Grant. And look, hopefully, I have you on my podcast very soon, and we can chat. We can chat all things football as well. Superb. Thanks very much. Well, listener, that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Campbell's Footballs. I hope this podcast was just what the doctor ordered. If you want to listen to previous shows or look out for future shows, follow Campbell's Footballs on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to other podcasts. You can also follow the show on Facebook at Campbell's Footballs. Search for me, StatoG91, or Instagram, or other social media channels. But until then, until next time, I hope you enjoyed the crack and enjoy Campbell's footballs. What a dangerous night!